Meanwhile... I am the Whistler. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Transcribe for Christmas to enable the cast and the entire production staff to enjoy Christmas with their family. Mutations. Letter from Cynthia. And welcome to another exciting holiday edition of Mid-Valley Mutations. As we bring you a eerie tone poem meditation on drunk driving, free will, and morality here in the form of an old Whistler episode, a show I'm quite fond of, though the format does kind of reek of old timiness. So uh, I've kind of remixed it here with many mutations to modernize it, as it were. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's get into this. It's a letter for Cynthia, a holiday mini-mutation here on Mid-Valley Mutations. And uh, it goes a little something like this. To the holiday staff on duty at the small hospital on the outskirts of a small town on the coast of Southern California. Christmas night was much like any other night. Not quite, of course, for the spirit of the season was in the air. A tree austerely but beautifully decorated in a motif of silver and white. stood majestically alone in the center of the reception lobby. The attractive receptionist at the desk, who doubled on the switchboard at night, glanced eagerly at a dozen festively wrapped packages. presents left for her earlier in the day by various members of the staff. From the church across the street, the soft melody of a Christmas carol floated through the open window on the far side. The sound of footsteps descending the stairs on the right caused the girl to glance up. one of the newer doctors who was serving his internship strolled casually to the desk. 
Thought I'd come down for a little breather. Kind of slow tonight, Patty. Is that bad for Christmas night? What do you want from Santa Claus anyway, Dr. Andrews? A couple of emergency appendectomies. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. I just meant it's kind of... Oh, sure, I know. And it suits me fine. I got two hours sleep today and eight hours in front of me here at this desk. Oh, that's bad, Pat. You'll never see your grandchildren if you keep that up. People were dropping in all day long. You know how it is Christmas Day. Mm. Oh, I did, Dr. Peters. Thanks for the nice present. You're welcome. Good night, Doc. Good night, Neil. Yeah, Patty, it's like I said. A guy like you needs eight hours sleep a day. Did you get eight hours sleep today, Doctor? <laughs> you would. You know, you're an odd man, Dr. Andrews. All right. Well, how do you mean? I mean... I don't know, you act like there's something bothering you. Like there's something on your mind all the time. Well, maybe there is. Hell, everybody has things on their mind. You could still go out and dance, have fun, like the other doctors do. Single ones, I mean. Too busy. I'm still an intern, you know. Make it sound like a sentence. <laughs> yes? Outside line? Yes, sir. Here, Doctor, I almost forgot. Hmm? Maybe this pretty pink envelope will change your viewpoint. Hmm, a letter. Where did this come? I don't know. I just came on duty ten minutes ago. Why don't you open it? What? 
Dr. Andrews. Your hands are trembling. I believe your viewpoint's changed already. Yes, Neil, your hands are trembling as you recognize the handwriting. Read the return address on the envelope. The address of lovely Cynthia Walker. She's out of your life now, isn't she, Neil? She'll never be out of your life, will she? You're just out of hers. You walk across the lobby, choose a chair in your light, stare into space for a moment. memory of that last moment with Cynthia crowding every other thought from your mind. It isn't pleasant to recall, is it? The unfortunate accident. That cost you your reputation, your position. the love of Cynthia Walker. At the very beginning of your career as an intern in an important hospital. You remember Cynthia's thoughtless, angry words that follow. Yes, looking back to that day more than a year ago, it's... Hard to believe now that a few hours could have made so much difference in your future. And as you try to read the words on the scrap of paper, Cynthia's left in You know that one man is responsible for it all. Charles Arthur Benson. The man who lied when the truth would have cleared you. Charles Arthur Bennett. The man who called himself. Your best friend.
sound of an ambulance wheeling into the receiving room below shatters your train of thought. Across the room, a yellow light flashes on the switchboard. You turn quickly back to the letter. But your thoughts are blurred and... You know you won't have time to finish your letter before you get the call you're sure is coming. Yes, sir. Dr. Andrews. Yes? Yes, Pat? Admitting room? No, Miss Stevens is busy. 412 has had a relapse. Uh They're taking the emergency to the third floor. Dr. Graham wants you to go to the third floor drug room. What kind of accident? Car crash. Traumatic and hemotractic shock. Patient very weak. Dr. Graham wants you to prepare injections of sereptamine and sacralin. Take them to the operating room, third floor. Right. I was afraid we might have one of these before the day was over. You get any details? No. Only it was an automobile accident. The man's unconscious. According to the identification card in his wallet, his name is Charles Bennett, salesman. Who did you say? Bennett. Charles Arthur Bennett, Los Angeles. You're listening to KLFM.org in beautiful split. Mid-Valley. Transcribed for Christmas to enable the cast and the entire production staff to enjoy Christmas with their family. Mutations. Letter from Cynthia. It's a shock, isn't it, to realize what's happened. As you hurry up the stairs along the hallway to the laboratory, your thoughts go back to that night more than a year ago. 
circumstances were quite different then, weren't they? Because although you didn't then realize it, that night you were at the mercy of Charlie Bennett. The night which began at a birthday party for Charlie Bennett more than a year ago at the home of a mutual friend. But as far as you were concerned, there were just the three of you. Cynthia, Charlie, your best friend, and you. Yes, Neil, things were much different then. Wonderful party. I wish I didn't have to leave right in the middle of it. Well, if you must, you must. I'll drive you home. No, darling, I've already phoned for a taxi. Now, this is the first time you've been off duty from the hospital in a long time. I want you to stay here and relax and have fun. Okay, but I might get into trouble, you know. <laughs> I trust you. You're a big boy now. Or I wouldn't have told you I'd marry you. Tell him tomorrow. I don't want to seem conceited, but
telling him tonight that I'm going to marry you, it, it just might spoil his birthday party. Yes, it would. By the way, where is Charlie? Oh, he's around. Over in the corner, I think. That island completely surrounded by the ocean of blood. Well, I wouldn't think of invading that territory just to tell him good night. You tell him for me, will you, Neil? have to go. Jane's only in town for the night and I don't get to see my sister very often. My taxi ought to be here by now. Now it's your night off, dear. You have fun. You interns don't get out of that hospital often enough. And besides, champagne is wonderful. Anything you say, darling. <laughs> Reluctantly, you see Cynthia to a cab. And come back to the birthday party for Charlie. You take Cynthia's advice, too. Enjoy a little champagne. Make party talk with other friends, and you do have a good time, Neil. 
You relax for the first time in weeks. Another hour or two, most of the crowd is gone, and finally you even convince Charlie that it's time to go home. And in the lobby going out. Why don't you leave your car here, Charlie, and go home and start like I am? Stop. Leave your car here. Get a taxi. Hey, what's the idea? I can drive. Oh, don't tell me the good doctor's in his cups from a little champagne. <laughs> Not really, but I just don't want to do any driving. Or You don't have to do any. A little bit of champagne didn't bother me. Look, tell you what, we live close to each other. We'll use your car and. I'll pick mine up tomorrow. I'd sure rather take a taxi. Oh, aren't any taxis around anyway? There's a stand about three blocks away. Not at night, Neil. Besides, you'll need your car to get to the hospital in the morning. Come on, Neil, boy. I'm okay. Now, 
shoot. Let's go. But take it easy. Once in the car, you make one more effort to talk Charlie out of driving, but to no avail. You're getting a little weary of the slight argument, so you let him drive your car. And after the first you decide you have nothing to worry about. Charlie seems to be driving satisfactorily. Slightly over the speed limit, but... Everything seems to be all right until he suddenly turns a corner sharply. That's the last you remember for a little while. When you open your eyes, you feel a dizziness, a dull pain at your temple. And someone's talking to someone. Lamppost made quite an impression on your car, though.
What's the idea of driving like this? Charlie was driving. Oh, Charlie was driving. Yeah, he's... Gone? He sure is absent. Say, you're a little on the woozy side, friend. Charlie, where? Where's Charlie? Hey, come on, chum. That's enough about Charlie now. How much have you had to drink, anyway? Look here, officer. Charlie was here. I know he was here. No one was here, chum. I heard the crash around the corner and came straight here. No, Charlie, no nobody. Just you. man who wasn't here. He couldn't have gone, Charlie. And that's all, chum. We got a swell place downtown where you can uh, sleep on it, huh? You're listening to klfm.org in beautiful split Croatia. Mid-Valley. Transcribe for Christmas to enable the cast and the entire production staff to enjoy Christmas with their family. Mutations. Letter from Cynthia. It's like a nightmare, isn't it, Neil? You're bewildered and confused by what's happened. It's all a mistake, isn't it? A horrible mistake. And Charlie will show up soon and explain everything. Then you're booked at police headquarters and spend the rest of the night pacing back and forth in jail. Finally, in the early morning, someone is there to put up your bail. Hello, Cynthia. Hello, Neil. I... 
I came as quickly as I could. Thanks. Thanks for that. Spring. Come along, Neil. I'll drive you home. How did you find out I was here? The whole story is in the morning papers. And it mentions your connection with the hospital, too. Dr. Rogers called me about it. He was quite concerned. Well, he needn't have been. We'll get this whole thing cleared up in no time. Time at all. Oh, I hope so, Neil. Sure. As soon as I see Charlie Bennett. Charlie? Yeah, you tell him what really happened. He was driving the car. It was all his fault. I was too. What's the matter, Cynthia? Why are you looking at me like that? I've already talked with Charlie. Well, he told you then how it really happened. Charlie said he wasn't with you last night when it happened. He took a cab. He went home alone. you stunned, doesn't it, Neil? You're certain there must be some mistake. But once Charlie understands how much it means to you, he'll realize what's happened and tell the truth. 
up the unfavorable publicity for the hospital. But at least you could be cleared in Dr. Rogers' eyes and in Cynthia's. You see Cynthia safely home and then take a taxi directly to Charlie's apartment. He isn't there. But the desk clerk lets you in and you settle down to wait and to think. Nearly two hours later, a key sounds on the door. Neil. Hiya, pal. Why didn't you tell me you were coming? I would have waited. I didn't plan on it. The desk clerk let me in. You talked to Cynthia on the phone this morning, didn't you, Charlie? Cynthia? Yeah. Crack it on, naturally. She was worried about you. Naturally. And what did you tell her? That's what's boring, yeah. Well, I didn't really mean to do it, Neil, but I had to. Uh, want a drink? No. Mind if I have one? Look, Charlie, I'm trying to give you a chance to explain. Okay. No reason to get sore. You lied to Cynthia. Why? Well, I told you I had to. You know, as a salesman, I have to drive a car to make a living. What's you know? that got to do with it? Only everything, that's all. under the weather.
get off with a fine and a warning that time. Wait a minute. You mean you deliberately let me take the rap for your accident last night? I tell you, I couldn't help it. Do you know what a spot this has put me in? The hospital has a reputation they're pretty jealous of. You know. Sure, and I've got a job. And so have I. I think you'd better put down that drink and get your coat on, Charlie. Why? Because you're coming with me to explain to Dr. Rogers. Then we're going together to see Cynthia. Oh, what good would that do? It's all over now, Neil. You mean you're refusing? I mean I went home in a taxi last night alone. Told my story once and I don't see anything to gain by changing it now. Suddenly it occurs to you that Charlie has a more important reason for lying. His job is only part of it. He's always wanted to marry Cynthia too. Despite your long friendship. He believes that anything's fair in love or war. Simple as that. And with you out of the way, he's sure he'll have a clear field. And Cynthia, after all this, what about Cynthia, Neil? You have to be sure. Can you be sure of Cynthia now? I just can't understand it. You don't believe me, do you? But you do believe Charlie. Why would he lie about a thing like this? Because with me out of the way, he thinks he could marry you. Neil, I've known Charlie for years. He wouldn't do a thing like that. Besides, he's your best friend. Oh, yeah. He's proved that, hasn't he? Neil. Aren't you forgetting that Charlie wasn't found in the wreck? That you were? You all alone? 
your story is... Well, it's too fantastic. The police don't believe it. And Charlie says it couldn't have been that way. Yusuf. What do you say? Oh, Neil, what can I say? Do you think I want to believe this? And Dr. Rogers. What do they say? Naturally, I resigned. Couldn't do anything else. I don't blame them for what they think, any of them. But I know I'm right. There's no use in going over all that again. Neil. You're not going. Well, why not? I don't seem to be getting anywhere. What's going to happen, Neil? Will you... Do you think you'll be able to get an internship somewhere else? I think so. Just as qualified as I ever was. My previous record was good. And I've learned a lot. Sorry, this has been too much for you, Cynthia. I haven't you said You wouldn't that... consider marrying a man you didn't believe, would you? I want to believe you, Neil. More than I ever wanted to believe anything. happened more than a year ago, didn't it, Neil? You cut off all contacts with your friends in Los Angeles. 
You've often wondered if Cynthia ever married Charlie. You smile as you enter the drug room and find another intern there. What's the emergency, Neil? Car wreck. You assisting? No, just preparing the sereptamine and sacramen shots. That must have been a pretty bad accident. I'm afraid so. Never stop to think about the power of these drugs. Just the right amount means almost certain recovery. Too much or too little. Do you always get this philosophical at Christmas? No, but I guess this case made me think about it more than usual. See, uh, I know the guy. Oh, friend? You said it. What a friend. Oh. Kind of an unusual situation, isn't it? A very unusual situation. You're listening to KLFM.org in beautiful Split, Croatia. Mid Valley. Friends strive for Christmas to enable the cast and the entire production staff to enjoy Christmas with their family. Mutations. Letter from Cynthia. Donned your sterile mask and gown and prepared the injection. Carried them to the operating room. Where you placed them on the instrument tray. Without even a glance at the mask sheet covered patient. You note Dr. Graham's nod of dismissal and quietly leave the operating room. Where Charlie Bennett's chance for life or death lies squarely in your hands. You never dreamed you'd have such an opportunity, did you, Neil? 
After removing your mask and gown, you return to the hallway. Wait by a window near the operating room. As the melody from the church again drifts in through the window. You wonder whether you're glad or sorry of what you've done. Then you remember the disgrace Charlie Bennett brought on you. Your shattered hopes, the happiness you might have had with Cynthia. And you know the answer. Even if you could, you wouldn't change the situation in the slightest. You pause under a ceiling light and decide to finish Cynthia's letter. another Christmas approaches. I realize how hasty I seemed in my judgment. Suddenly your heart beats faster. As you realize she's still Miss Cynthia Walker. You can almost hear the words as the melody of her voice haunts your memory. But you were even more hasty in your actions. Your sudden abrupt bleeding. Not letting me know where you were. I know now how wrong I was to doubt you. But even when my doubts were deep. You told me once a woman loves in spite of a man's weakness. Not because of his strength. Remember, Neil. Well, so it was. And is. I haven't changed. And I can't believe that you have. Merry Christmas. You turn away, stare out the window. Suddenly you're horrified and ashamed that you were doctor. 
bound by the sacred oath of hypocrisy, have allowed your hatred for Charlie Bennett to bring you to the point that it did. That's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Our holiday mini-mutation for you this year. Letter from Cynthia. A sort of horror-themed anti-drunk driving message, I guess? Well, just wait for the twist ending here coming up. Anyway, we're going to close with another installment of Rocky Jordan. Uh, You know, it is a shame that uh, we don't have more of the holiday programs that uh, that show did. Uh, Apparently, all of the holiday-themed programs for Rocky Jordan have gone missing, uh, which is a a pity, because I um, I bet that show would put on some interesting holiday-themed stories. But that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. Uh, tune in next week. We'll, we got one more uh, holiday show before uh, we get into New Year's. And then the New Year. So, wow, this is just moving right along, isn't it? Which means that I probably shouldn't take up much more time. So, what can I say? Uh, you guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you, there would be no program. Be seeing you. And happy holidays. Finally, the door to the operating room opens. The still form is wheeled silently past you. You continue to stare out the window. You light a cigarette. Wait for Dr. Graham to emerge from the operating room. He opens the operating room door and enters the hallway. You walk slowly toward him. How's the patient, Doctor? Well, the patient's going to be all right. Glad you were around. Sereptamines are godsend. Uh, may I uh, have a cigarette, Andrew? Oh, sure. I wish Sereptamine had been available when I first started practice. Hmm. Matter of fact, I wish I were young like you. Just beginning. Now, you'll be a great doctor one day, Andrew. 
I'm sure of it. You're honest. Duty comes first with you. Why, you could no more evade it than commit murder. No, I guess I couldn't. I almost made a terrible mistake a little while ago. A mistake that could have been fatal to your patient. Mm, but you didn't. No. No, and I don't think I'll ever be tempted to make a similar mistake again. I'm sure you won't, whatever it was. Oh, the practice of medicines in your heart above everything. Yes, I guess it is. Oh, it is. I've always known that. That's why I appointed you. Thank you, Doctor. Now, when can I speak with Mr. Bennett? Oh, anytime you wish. He's lying down in my office. Bennett wasn't seriously injured. Just uh, knocked out temporarily. He was driving the car. You mean someone else was... Oh, our patient was the young lady with him. It seems they were on the way out here to the hospital to see one of our interns. She'll be okay. Doctor, who was she? Well, her name's, uh, uh, Walker. Uh, Cynthia Walker. Buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Time now for Rocky Jordan, brought to you by Del Monte Foods, the brand preferred by more women than any other line of canned fruits and vegetables in the world. Not far from the Musk Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Cafe Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Del Monte presents Rocky Jordan and this week's story, The Veiled People. Tambourine gets all sorts of people, a 
But this kind of man was new to me. Tall, muscular, with piercing dark eyes, black silken hair and thin beard, sunbaked skin that turned light below the eyes. In spite of his size, his hands were delicate, and he might have been graceful except for the ill-fitting white robe and his complete uncertainty. I watched him as he came back to where I was wiping some glasses behind the bar. My name is Gerard. I would work for you, sir. Yeah, I get all the help I need. Sorry. I, I need money. I, I will work very hard for only a few francs. They don't pay in francs around Cairo. Where are you from, anyway? If I do good work, you do not care. Well, you ought to be a good caravan driver. Why don't you look up Ali Ben down at the camel stall? I do not want to drive camels. I would work hard for you. Scrub floors, sweep. With this broom, I will show you. Stay on the other side of the bar. I said nothing doing. I clean up very good. You will see. Now cut it, will you? Look out with that broom. Gerard! Oh. oh, I am most sorry. I'll bet you are. That was expensive liquor. It'll cost you plenty. Oh, but there is no money. So, now you see, I have to work for you. Is that not so, sir? Yeah. All right, get busy, Gerard. There was nothing to do but let him work it out. It was all new to him, but he was tireless. By night, he had the place as spotless as my grandmother's kitchen. The Cairo streets had him confused, so I helped direct him to an address in the Sharia El Gama. But he was back bright and early the next day, hard at work. That evening, I told him he'd worked off his debt, gave him a few piastres, and said he could stay on. Whoever he was or where he came from, he seemed like a good man to have around. He thanked me and hurried away. I figured the tambourine had had its fill of strange characters for a while, but a few minutes later, there were two more. They were tall and erect, dressed in blue robes. It wasn't just the fact that they blocked the door that sent me hurrying up front, but something else. The black veils that covered their faces. Look well over the room, Jeb. The eyes regard each person, Hagar. All right, empty boys. Fun's over. Take the masquerade someplace else. Tell us now where he is. We talk when you take off the disguise. You know, your wives will be missing those veils. The insult, Hagar. So, now we show him the knives, Jeb. You see, sheathed to the wrists, sharp for the throat of the offender. Yeah. Now, where is the one who calls himself Gerard? Gerard? What's your interest? It is one which brings us from far across the sand. From the land of fear we come. Silence, Jeb. We talk only of the shameless one. As you say, the one who calls himself Gerard. He's not around. But he will return here? Maybe. He got quite a wait. The people of the desert are doomed to patience. We will wait here. Yeah, hold on. We got rules at the tambourine. You check your knives at the door. The knives remain with us. Not in here, they don't. Keep it outside. So... As he wishes, Jeb. We remain close by until the shameless one returns. Police headquarters. Sergeant Greco speaking. Uh, hello, Greco. This is Rocky. Put Sam on. The Captain Sabaya is not here, Mr. Jordan. And where do I find him? He is in Port Said on an extradition matter. Now, kindly state your business. I want some of your men over here on the double. And why? Uh, a bunch of characters are scratching around outside, a little too anxious with knives. Indeed. Your tambourine has a way of attracting the disreputable. All right, just get them out of here, Greco, before they make trouble. Proceed, please. Describe them quickly. Oh, you can't miss them. There's three of them, tall, wearing blue robes. You fear the fellahin? Well, these aren't just farmers, Greco. They're different. Hey, and get this. 
They all wear veils. Mr. Jordan, listen to me. You will leave them alone. Do not so much as look at them twice. Oh, cut it, Crackle. They aren't women. They're men. Uh, men wearing veils, Mr. Jordan? Well, you figure it out. Now, get busy. Mr. Jordan, it appears that once again your mind is clouded from the wearers of your cafe. I suggest you get some sleep. When you awake, you may call me again if you remember anything. Until then, good night, Mr. Jordan. Greco, listen to me. Ah. Well, that meant I had no help from the police. Not with Greco on duty. As though that wasn't enough, Chris popped his head in the door just then with some news. He'd just been checking the cash in the register up front. It was almost a hundred pounds short. In spite of all the confusion, Gerard had been gone only 15 minutes. Chris had an idea, and so did I. That gave me one more good reason to look up Gerard. I ducked out the back way and headed east up the hill into the native quarter on my way to the Sharia El Gama. I thought I'd shaken the veiled characters, but the blue robe flapping half a block behind told me different. I stepped it up, then hopped into a doorway and waited. As he came by, I was out, twisting his robe around the throat. Which one of you, Buster? It is the offender. So be it. Now talk fast. What's it all about? Why do you want Gerard? The knife will answer. He suddenly twisted away and I couldn't hold. His hand went to the sheath on his left wrist. My punch landed right below the ribs. He doubled but had the knife. I swung again. The knife clattered away. That's when I yanked the veil off his face. No, not the veil. No. In the struggle, uh, I had a good look at his face. Black, silky, thin beard. Pale skin below the eyes. Not the face of Gerard, but a lot like it. By then, the noise of the fight was bringing a lot of people. Smart foreigner doesn't get caught brawling in the native quarter, so I let him have one right on the button. He went down. I stuffed his veil in my pocket and dug for an alley. Kept it up till I was sure I was safe. Then I went on to the Shari El Gama. You're listening to KLFM.org in beautiful split Croatia. A dim streetlight pointed out the place I was after hovel fronting the street. A horse-drawn gary, complete with driver, stood in front. Before I reached it, I had one more hurdle. Oh, another time. Out of the way, Imshi. An unfortunate blind for the eyes that do not see. Allah your cheek, Imshi. I shook him off as I saw a frightened native girl run from the house. She dumped a bundle of clothes in the gary and was climbing in fast. Quickly now, driver. Hey, just a Gary. minute, lady. I want to talk to no, you. No, It's about Gerard. I've got to see him. Where is he? Driver, whip the horse. Do not wait. A la tool. I had my hand on the gary, but it yanked away, and I went sprawling. By the time I was up again, the gary had carried the girl far down the street, too fast to follow. Well, the door to the house was wide open, so I went in. I found a candle, lit it. After a couple of minutes looking, decided I'd find nothing there. I was right, and I was wrong. Turn around, Senor Jordan, but carefully so. I turned and faced the voice. He stood in the doorway, wearing a black flop hat over a mottled face. His crooked teeth were showing, but the grin wasn't pleasant. And he held a gun. Sit down, Senor Jordan. We will talk about her now. Sit down. Sure. Now, tell me all about her. But I must ask you, where did she go? I don't know. Obviously, you too have an interest in her. Else, why are you here? I came looking for Gerard. My, only because he might lead you to her. Is that not so? No, I knew nothing about her. It happens Gerard works for me at my cafe. Yes, yes, I know. I follow him for a time from your cafe tonight. But the, the wily one, he read me. That's how you know my name. I uh, didn't get yours. Hmm. Antonio Scorpio, senor. 
How does Gerard concern you? Oh, none at all, except uh, as an excellent bait. Now, let us forget him. And while you're about it, maybe you can explain a bunch of guys running around Cairo with veils over their faces. Let them return to their beds of sand where they belong, and that's no fear of mine. But the girl is. Why? Senor, I'm beginning to wonder if you do know anything of this. Is it possible you do not know who she is? You got it right. Then you don't know her worth in gold or silver. I'm waiting for you to tell me. <laughs> I believe I will offer you something even better, my friend. This begins to shape up like a deal. Well, perhaps it is. It seems that you have won the confidence of this Gerard. It is possible that he places a certain trust in you. You will wait here for him. Yeah. You have only to uh, obtain the whereabouts of the girl whose name is Sheila. Bring the information to me, and you shall be well repaid. What happens to her and Gerard? That need never concern you. Well, senor. You think I'd go for a deal like that? Well, we who for reasons cannot return to our own country must live as best we can. You answer. Tell me all of it. I'll decide then. Then you will get out of here. I will wait alone and you will get nothing. Have it your way, Scorpio. Yes. Arrivederci, senor. But mark you. Keep your lips sealed. Your life means no more to me than those of the desert. Now get out. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. With jolly old St. Nick due for his annual visit in just two weeks, there's a festive spirit pervading the land. Yes, it's the time of year for entertaining. And that, as you ladies know, means a lot of meals to plan. So here's a timely suggestion. Start your meals off on the right note of enjoyment with the perfect appetizer. Del Monte tomato juice. Yes, Del Monte tomato juice is the perfect appetizer. It's just right tang and rich tomato flavor really whets the appetite. Get your meal off to a flying start. That's because... Del Monte tomato juice is fresh tasting. Right. All of the sunny flavor of juicy red tomatoes fully ripened right on the vine. Del Monte tomato juice is natural tasting. Del Monte tomatoes are rushed direct from the field to the cannery to protect their fresh, natural taste. And Del Monte tomato juice is refreshing. That's right. The fresh, natural flavor of Del Monte tomato juice means real refreshment. So remember, for the perfect appetizer to start your meal off on the right note of enjoyment, it's Del Monte tomato juice every time. Buy several cans at your grocer's. You'll find they'll come in mighty handy. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Veiled People. Well, I went back to the tambourine and tried for some sleep, but it was filled with nightmares and a lot of unanswered questions. Next morning, I was reading the paper over some coffee when an item on page two caught my eye. Body of unidentified murder victim found in house at 1410 Sharia El Gama. Body taken to morgue. That was all, but not for me. 1410 Sharia El Gama was the house I'd visited the night before. I went to headquarters to pay my last respects to Gerard. 
Greco is still sitting at Sam's desk. I repeat, Mr. Jordan, Big Captain Sabaya is in Port Said. I am in command. All right, you'll do, Greco. You brought in a body from a place on Shari El Gama last night. I'd like to see it. You seem to have a special zest for the dead. Oh, cut it, Grego. Just take me to the morgue. Do you think you can identify him? Yeah, I think so. This way, Mr. Jordan. You seem most tired. Perhaps the affairs of the night. Yeah, yeah. Would it be that you saw more of the men with veils? Or perhaps the masks on their faces? Yeah, that's right. Want to hear about them? Indeed not. Your dreams obviously confuse Cairo with Chicago. Over here. Oh, this the one? Feast your eyes, Mr. Jordan. That's not... Your obvious surprise does not escape me, Mr. Jordan. Who is he? Not who I thought. Name's Antonio Scorpio. Antonio Scorpio. How'd he die? From the knife, of course. This one here? Do not touch it, Mr. Jordan. I wouldn't think of it. Did you ever see a knife like this? In my time, I have seen many knives. They are all for one purpose. Now, I have other matters. Are you coming, Mr. Jordan? Yeah, sure, Greco. And uh, thanks for everything. I followed him up and went out. My thanks to Greco had been for a knife I pocketed as he turned away. It was exactly like the ones carried by the veiled men. I caught the first taxi and made it across town to the Cairo Museum. After a little waiting, got in to see the curator of the weapons division, a kindly white-topped Mr. Winters. I introduced myself and laid the knife on his desk. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it is not the best specimen, Mr. Jordan, but it, it seems authentic. <laughs> Wicked-looking thing, isn't it? Where did you get it? Now, let's just say I found it, Mr. Winters. Who would use a knife like that? Well, it is the favorite weapon of the Toreg. Uh, they sheath them to the wrist for instant use. Toreg? Yes, uh, Toreg. Remarkable people. Nomads living in the heart of the Sahara, uh, called by many the land of fear. Uh, that much checks. I'm just trying to remember there's something different about the Toreg. Well, <laughs> I should say, yes. Uh, by some, they are known as the Desert Raiders. And by others, and I think much more appropriately, the people of the Vale. Oh, of course, the Vales. Uh, they all wear veils? Oh, no, 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 no. Not the women, uh, Mr. Jordan. Only the men. The litham, it is called. A black cloth to hide the faces of the men day and night. I still don't get it. Well, who can say? It's an answer lost to antiquity. Custom gone into reverse, you might say. In fact, a, a mild form of matriarchy exists. Uh, Mr. Winters. Yes? Supposing one of the Toreg wanted to get away from the tribe and then lose his identity. How could he best do that? Why, uh, well, really, I couldn't say. All he'd have to do is change to other clothes and take off the veil. His own people might not even recognize him. Oh, but it's hardly likely. They consider removing the veil as shameless. But it is a thought. Uh, is it uh, possible that you are a writer, Mr. Jordan? Eh, nobody'd ever believe this story. Well, thanks, Mr. Winters. No, not at all, not at all. Uh, please let me know how your story turns out. Sure, if I ever find out myself. Well, I suppose I could have dropped it right there. But I was thinking about the frightened native girl I'd seen running from Gerard's house. And maybe I remembered the hundred pounds Gerard had snatched from my till. Anyhow, I decided to try for more. And that took me back to the native quarter. I found the blind man not far from where he'd been begging the night before. Back sheesh, Effendi. Back sheesh for the blind. Hey, uh, we met last night, remember? 
Ah, uh, voice of the foreigner. You offer no piastres. I got plenty today. Allah will bless you. A native girl got into a gary here last night. There was a driver. My ears heard the sound, but my eyes knew nothing. This whole handful of piastres for the name of the driver of that gary. Effendi, the driver, I do not know, but uh, on the gary, the number, in English it would be 27. Nice. Here. Go buy yourself some carrots. It took half an hour to locate the driver of the Gary 27 and a half pound to get him to tell me where he'd taken the girl to a little town south on the Nile called Helawan. So I invested some more money and had him take me there. Helawan turned out to be nothing more than a tiny boat stop. There were a few windowless shacks along the Nile banks. The driver pointed to one and was gone. I got to the open door of the shack and went in. I waited for my eyes to get accustomed to the dim light. So, even to this sad place you choose to follow? I saw her then, standing across the room at the wall. It was the girl, Sheila. Small, oval-faced. She stood erect, but helpless. Like those of the Torek. Like the vicious Scorpio you come to torment us. I only came to find Gerard. To find out what this is all about. Where is he? I would not tell. What do you know of Gerard? He worked for me at my cafe. Then, then you are the good Effendi Jordan of whom Gerard speaks well. Yeah, from whom he took a hundred pounds. Oh, he will repay. He took it only to help me escape, to pay the driver who came for me to get us away. But why? Scorpio was after you. What for? Who are you? I am Sheila, daughter of Sheikh Amenakal, a man of wealth and position on the Munda Oasis to the south of Algiers. Yeah, long way from home. Would you hear my story, Effendi Jordan? All right, Sheila. Go ahead. Well, first you must know, Effendi, that at home I was not happy. My father had betrothed me to one I did not love. Mm -hmm. Then one night, the Torah graders came and took me into the desert, holding me for ransom. You can realize my terror. I, who had been protected always from the world. Oh, sure. They, they would have been cruel to me, all but Gerard. He was tender and shielded me from the others. Such is fate. For it was the will of Allah that I should come to love Gerard. And he loved me. Mm -hmm. He aided in my escape. Together we went to the city and I became his wife. I dared not return to my father who would not accept Gerard as my husband. Gerard removed the blue robes and the veil, hoping the vengeful tribesmen would not find him. But it was not so easy. We went from one place to another, even to Cairo. But still they followed. Well, that's quite a story, Sheila. But what about Scorpio? Somehow he learned of me, perhaps for reward, perhaps for the ransom he would take me. I I'm not sure. That's why Gerard killed him? Oh, no. No, Effendi. Gerard never returned to the house. Gerard was waiting here. And I return now. Gerard, Cut no. it, Gerard. Drop the knife. <sighs> Jordan, sir. Oh, do not harm him. He comes in peace, my husband. Only you come, Jordan, sir? That's right, Gerard. Sheila's told me everything. You should have told me to begin with. No. Then you would not want me to work for you, for money to take her away. You found other ways of getting it. Those of my tribe came too quickly. I will repay. The promise of the Tareg is good. Well, what's your plan now? A small passenger boat ducks here at dusk. 
We would board it and travel far south to the interior. Where we trust they will not find us again. You would not stop us, Effendi Jordan. No. Not even if I could. We are eternally grateful. I waited there with them the rest of the afternoon. When evening came, Sheila picked up a few belongings and we went down to the small dock on the river. And well after sunset, a boat slid up to the dock's edge. A narrow gangplank came down, but the deck was strangely deserted. All we could see was the pilot up in the cabin, and his face was straight ahead. Something didn't look right. Gerard, I do not understand this. Come, Sheila. We must not wait. Hold it, Gerard. Who's on there? Hey, speak up. Where's the crew? If you are coming, get aboard. Quickly. As he says. No, no. Better let me check. Wait here with Sheila. Hey, where is everybody? So, in the offender. Gerard, get up here. I come, Jordan, sir. I was pinned behind. He was heavy but too anxious, and I sent him sailing over my head. Blue roads and all. As Gerard reached the deck, a second of the veiled men was mixing in. A third was scrambling down from the pilot's cabin. My foot slowed him. By then, a lot of knives were flashing, and I looked to the safety of Sheila. That's when I saw something else. A horse-drawn carrier racing down to the water's edge. Loaded down with uniforms, it came piling out, headed by none other than Sergeant Greco. Onto the boat, quickly! He sound them all! Hey, Greco, how'd you get here? So, Mr. Jordan, it's not the fact that I am here in Africa. Yeah, I can't say I ever cared for your face, Greco, but I'm sure glad to see it now. In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. This is the time of year when hearty meals are the rule. And since one good rule deserves another, here's one you'll want to keep. Keep a bottle of Del Monte catsup on your table. You'll find its zippy, zesty flavor makes so many foods extra tempting, extra delicious. Yes, Del Monte catsup has a satisfying, rich tomato flavor that does justice to the finest steak. It's livelier, it's peppier. It has the kind of flavor a man can really enjoy. On plain foods, on chops, on meatloaf, French fries, or on hamburgers, on anything that calls for catsup, Del Monte catsup is a real tomato flavor treat. That's because Del Monte catsup is made with pineapple vinegar, the superlative vinegar that brings out all the best in tomato flavor and blends so perfectly with the special herbs and spices. And Del Monte catsup is the only catsup made with pineapple vinegar. So remember, Del Monte catsup for the zestiest, liveliest catsup that ever pleased a man. There's nothing like its rich tomato flavor to perk up those hearty meals. And Del Monte catsup costs less than many other quality brands. If you haven't tried Del Monte catsup, you're missing a real flavor treat. Try it soon. Back now to Rocky Jordan for the conclusion of tonight's story. Well, with Greco and the police swarming around, the veiled men gave it up before too much damage was done to anybody. About that time, the pilot of the boat, who'd been held at the wheel by the Torig's knife, came scrambling down. He was glad enough to turn the boat around. And with all of us aboard, he went back down the Nile and docked at Cairo. The three veiled men got a cell apiece. Gerard and Sheila waited outside as Greco commanded me into Sam Sabaya's office. 
I will now complete the dossier on this case. Uh, sit there, Mr. Jordan. Uh, sure, sir. <coughs> oh, by the way, uh, Sam always has coffee. It can wait. Now, first, uh, the matter of 100 pounds stolen by Gerard uh, from your cafe. Oh, I'm not preferring charges, Grego. Gerard will pay up. Huh. Uh, very well, as you wish. Oh, he needed it bad. He'd hoped to earn enough working at my cafe to get Sheila away, but his tribesmen found him way too quick. Uh-huh. Oh, they've both been through enough. Gerard asked for it when he helped Sheila escape from the Tory. I can understand why they didn't go right to her father, Sheikh Amenikau. Gerard's life wouldn't have been worth much. Uh, am I boring you? Uh, quite to the contrary, Mr. Jordan. Now, the Torek must have been asking a fancy ransom. Somehow, Antonio Scorpio got wind of it, and he located Sheila and Gerard and followed along, figuring to cut in. When the veiled men found Scorpio at Gerard's house last night, it was their chance to get rid of him. Now, of course, you didn't check on Scorpio. You will be disappointed. Antonio Scorpio was a notorious criminal, last known operating in Algiers. <laughs> Good boy, Grego. Sam's going to be real proud of you. That is my intent. You were uh, most kind to help. Me? It is so easy to follow the Occidental mind. What are you getting at? It happens that I intended to do nothing but the matter of the knife which disappeared from the morgue. It was so like you, Mr. Jordan. Oh, yeah. It's all yours, Grego. At that point, I invoked the command of the Captain Sabaya when he left me in charge. That should you again become involved in one of your usual escapades, that questions would prove futile, I was only to watch you and follow. It was simple for us both to take the same path. How'd you find me down at Halloween? The driver of the garret took both you and Sheila to the Nile town. Could he not also take those of the police? Yeah, sure. Just one thing, Greco. No rough stuff with Gerard, huh? Sheikh Amanakal will be notified immediately, Mr. Jordan. It is a duty. And uh, what then? Uh, do not be concerned. Their marriage seems quite illegal. Our father cannot force the girl's return. The man Gerard, under surveillance, may remain with her in Egypt. Oh, yeah. That's the way Sam would handle it. As you say, the Captain Sabaya will be most pleased with my report. Good night, Mr. Jordan. Uh, good night, Greco. Oh, by the way, I've got something for you. You have, Mr. Jordan? What is it? This, uh, this veil I grabbed off Hogar's face. Try it on, Greco. I knew it ought to look good. You're listening to For the finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products. Del Monte catsup and chili sauce. Del Monte tomato sauce and canned tomatoes. And Del Monte tomato juice. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Larry Roman and Gomer Cool, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jane Avello as Sam Sabayo. Sergeant Greco is played by Lou Krugman. This program is produced and directed by Cliff Howell, with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station. And the story is The Late Mr. Maru.
gay, glamorous holiday dessert. Serve Del Monte Fruit Cocktail. Five luscious fruits, ready cut, so easy to serve, so pleasing to see, so delicious to taste. Del Monte Fruit Cocktail. Larry Thor speaking. Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Mid-Valley. Mutations.